Good morning, Gateway family. Great to see you this morning. Over our last 15 weeks in the Psalms, we've seen lots of different types of Psalms. We've seen Psalms that deal with God's Word and the truthfulness of it and our confidence in God's Word. We saw Psalms of confidence and God's care for us, Psalms to remind us that God is with us. We saw Psalms of lament and responding to sufferings and trials and difficulties of life. We saw Psalms of praise, of worshiping God for who He is and We spent the last several weeks looking at psalms of repentance, psalms of penitence, dealing with sin in our life and responding to the Lord, seeking His forgiveness. Now today we come to a new emphasis in the psalms, a new theme. We're going to spend the next four weeks looking at a different type of psalm and a different theme in the psalms. Now to introduce it, I want to give us a test. Don't be nervous. This is a fill-in-the-blank, one one blank on the screen for us to complete. I'm going to start with a Bible verse, the first phrase one you've probably heard. It's on pictures everywhere. It's on cards you get. You'll see it everywhere. And I want to try to complete the verse, okay? Not too hard, right? Fill in the blank. So here it is. Let's stick up the screen, Brad, here. Be still and... Okay, be still and know. Keep going. Be still and know what? Very good. Be still and know that I am God. You've seen it on posters. Usually there's a peaceful mountain scene behind it, right? Some like a little river flowing through the Smokies with this imprinted over it. You'll see it used in times of trials. Be still. Know that God's God. You'll hear it used as encouragement when life is really busy. You'll find that your devotional is calling us to pause and reflect on who God is. And friends, all those things are true. The problem is that's not what that verse is about. The way we typically see it framed and used has nothing to do with what this verse typically says. And the reason for that is what we just quoted back was only half of the verse. You memorized half a verse. I memorized half a verse. We've read and we've had devotionals on half of a verse and we stopped halfway through it. Why do we stop halfway through Psalm 4610? Because if we stop halfway through, it makes it about us. If we stop halfway through, it, it deals with me and my problems and God being there for me. And again, that is true. We've seen that in the Psalms. We've taken a verse that's about something much bigger than us and made it <clears throat> about us because it changes its meaning. So we're just see the whole verse right now and see it for what it really is. So Psalm 4610, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all of the earth. This is a verse about God's glory among the nations. What we've been singing about throughout this morning, about God's glory being known in the world, yet our hearts are so self-focused. We take a verse about God's glory in the world and we cut out the half that doesn't deal with us. And we turn it back to about me and my problems. This verse is from Psalm 46. I want you to find in your copy of God's Word, Psalm 46, or find it on your Bible app on your phone there. It's what Ashley and Patsy were just singing for us. It came straight from this psalm, Psalm 46. We're going to spend the next several weeks looking at psalms about missions. What do I mean by missions? Missions about the good news of Jesus going to all the peoples of the world. The good news of Jesus, the gospel, the hope that we have in Christ going to all the peoples of the world. It's about God's glory in the nations, people from every ethnic group in the world worshiping God. When we think of missions, we normally go to books like Matthew or Acts. But here we are in the middle of the Old Testament, and we see God's amazing plan for His name to be known among all the peoples of the world. And I'm excited, friends, about what God's going to do in my heart and in us as a church body over the next four weeks. We look at God's glory among the nations right from the middle of the Psalms. Now, before we get to mission strategy or we should go or we should give to missions, we're not, we're not tackling that today. We're starting more foundational today with Psalm 46. This is about our hearts. This is not a message about you should go do missions or you should go give to missions or you should pray for missions. This is a message about what God does in our hearts. 
And so before we even start with the text this morning, I want you to see what I believe is the main idea that we're going to look at in Psalm 46 this morning. It's simply this. God stirs our hearts to long for Him to be worshipped in all the earth. God stirs our hearts, friends. This is about what God is doing in my life and in your life. This is not a, so many of our attempts at missions and helping us grow in doing missions come out of guilt and all sorts of bad reasons. But we need to start with our hearts, our affections, and let God work on our hearts as He draws us to a place of longing for what He longs for, longing for Him to be worshipped in all of the earth. God wants us to understand this. God wants to stir our hearts in this because He wants to use us. And I pray as we start this morning and over the next weeks, God's going to stir my heart afresh and stir your heart afresh through His Word to see His desire to be known in all of the earth and how He wants to work through you and me to do that. So read Psalm 46 this morning to see God stirring our hearts to long for Him to be worshipped in all the earth. I want you to look for what is God doing to stir our hearts? What are the images He's sharing with here to stir our hearts for this new longing? So as we come to, come to Psalm 46, and ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God. I'll be reading out the English Standard Version, and the words will also be on the screen for you. Psalm 46, we'll start with the subtitles there of it. To the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song. Now, verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I'll be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We say that week after week, but Lord, we're reminded even as we pray each week for people who don't have your word. God, in your kindness to us, you let us have your word that we might know you. And I pray this morning we would treasure your word. We would delight in your word to us, God. And God, I pray in my heart and the heart of these precious brothers and sisters, Lord, you might stir our affections for you and stir our affections for what you desire, and that is to be worshipped and glorified in the whole earth. Lord, would you transform us as a people of yours through your word this day and in the weeks to come, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, what I want you to see from Psalm 46 is that God is stirring our hearts. This is God working, God doing things, and he's stirring our hearts because he wants to be worshipped in all the world, and he wants us to long for that as well. So I want you to see, first of all, that God is the one stirring our hearts here. If you go back to, I call it verse zero, but what's before verse one there, your subtitle, I would take a look back at that. To the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song. For instance, Psalms, one thing I love about the book of Psalms is they're really songs in a lot of ways. They're poetry and songs, and songs move our hearts. We listen to songs on the radio that you really like. Your heart affections are moved by them. Songs get to the core of who we are. And so the song we have today was a song. You see it right there. This was to be sung by a choir. Hence, it was given to the choir master. It says it was according to Alamoth. Well, Alamoth means women. So what does this have to do with? We're really not sure, except for most likely it means it was sung by women in a higher key. It was designed to be a moving psalm to stir our hearts. And it was written by this group, the Sons of 
Korah. These were a group of Levites who served in the temple, and one of their functions was to be singers. So you have a group of singers writing a song for a choir to be sung in a higher key to stir the affections of God's people. And God has recorded it for us that it might stir our hearts and our affections as well. And in particular, friends, there's four truths in this psalm that should stir our hearts, that should stir our affection. Now, I want you to see these four truths that should stir us this morning. The first truth in this psalm is that God is with us. It's a truth should move our hearts and move our affections, not just intellectually, but in our hearts and the core of who we are. It should stir us to realize that God is with us. Look at verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help and trouble. Friends, refuge and strength and help are all synonyms. And they're synonyms for God being with us and us being a people in need. This is not God with us because we're so strong and amazing. It's God being with us because we're so needy. We need a refuge. We need strength. We need help in our trouble. But notice how personal this is. It's not just God is a refuge and strength. God is our refuge and strength. God is, if you're in Christ, God is your refuge and your strength and your help. And God is my refuge and strength and my help. This is so personal. And friends, we need to be in awe of that. That the creator who spoke a billion trillion stars into existence, Yahweh, the covenantly faithful God, the great I am, the Alpha and the Omega, the Almighty says, I am your refuge. I am your fortress, I am your strength, I am your present help. And for this idea of God being with us is so important in this psalm. It's repeated. Look down at verse 7 in the middle of the psalm. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. God is not distant. He's all-powerful. He speaks in the earth melts, but yet he's with us. And he's our fortress. And again, friends, it's so important. It's repeated again. Look at verse 11. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And this is so important that three places in the psalm, beginning, middle, and end, we're told God is with us. And it's said over and over and over. This truth should move us. Now, what does it mean for God to be with us? We know from Scripture that God is everywhere. And so what does it mean for God to be with us? It means God is with us in a special way to bless us, His people. So that's number two. The second truth I want you to see, not only is God with us, but God is with us to give grace to us. God gives grace to us his people. He's with us in a special way. Now, he shows this truth in some unique ways with images here. Again, this is poetry. So remember, it's very image-driven with a lot of metaphors, so it can be confusing. But look at how it shows us that God gives grace. Look back at verses 4 and 5. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. Now, what in the world is this talking about? City here is a description of God's people being together. We are in the city of God. We are with God's people. And so in this city, God's people, God's kingdom, there is a river whose streams make glad the city. There's a river that makes glad the people of God. And what is the river? Well, throughout the Bible and at this time, a river represents blessings. There's a river of blessings that flows to the people of God. That we have God's presence with us, not just in an impersonal way, but we have God's presence with us very personally because he's going to bless us. He's going to give us his grace upon grace in the language of John. Said again in verse 7, down at it. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Well, why does he use the title God of Jacob? Why is he pulling this out? Well, if you go back to Genesis chapter 35 there, God takes Jacob and he changes his name to Israel. And so Jacob, who becomes Israel, is reminded of his name change of the promise that God gave to Abraham. And the promise God gave to Abraham was to bless him 
to bless his descendants and ultimately to bless the whole world. And so by reminding two places here, in verse 7 and verse 11, that the God of Jacob is our fortress, it's a reminder to the people of the time that God will keep his promise to bless his people. So God is not just with us. God is with us to bless us and to give us grace upon grace. And this should stir our affections of how personal this is, that God is with us and he blesses. But number three, and it takes a little bit of a change and emphasis, this should stir our hearts as well. God is just. God is just. When you hear the word just, think of the word justice. Justice and God being just means that God must and will punish every sin. Because God is holy, because God is perfect, he can't ignore any sin. In his justice, he will judge every sin. And this psalm is full of images of God judging the world. Look at verse 6. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the earth does what? The earth melts. That's not a happy thought, is it? The earth is melting at the voice of God. This melting is an image of judgment, of destruction, as God judges every sin. And the psalm assures us here of a future judgment when every sin is punished. A coming day does not come yet when God makes every wrong right at the judgment. Look at the images to describe this future day that we've not seen yet. Look at verses 2 and 3. Therefore, we will not fear that the earth gives way. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Friends, this is not just an occasional earthquake or a description of an occasional tsunami here or there. This is a description that would have been understood to hearers as the undoing of all of creation. This would be understood at the time as not just an occasional natural disaster, but literally the earth is falling apart at judgment of God. It's an image of judgment that's still to come. And to make sure that we don't miss that, it carries on in verses 8 and 9. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. This is the future day of judgment when God judges the world and brings peace to the world. Hence the images of peace of him breaking the instruments of war here. In verse number 9, he's breaking the bow, he's shattering the spear, he's burning up the chariots because he's stopping all the fighting, he's stopping all the wars in the world. But how does he stop the wars back in verse 8? He does it through judgment here, his works, his judgments on the earth. Now to help us understand this imagery, Second Peter in the New Testament carries this image but makes it a little bit more clear for us in the New Testament context. Kind of. Second Peter chapter 3, I want you to see it on the screen, starting in verse 10. He's talking about the day of the Lord, the return of Christ, the judgment on the earth. He says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. We don't know when it's going to be. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar. Now notice the similar images of Psalm 46 here. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and all the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. So notice the kind of undoing of the, of the cosmos and judgment coming. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? It's a great question to meditate on a sermon for another day. Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will, notice this word again, melt as they burn. And then verse 13, but according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. That God is bringing about a restoration of the created order. He's bringing about a new heavens and a new earth. And if we're in Christ, we have nothing to fear because God's already put all the punishment for our sins on Christ. Our sin has been dealt with. And so when the Father looks at us, he sees Christ. He sees Christ righteous. Therefore, we have nothing to fear in the judgment because the judgment has already been paid for us. And he assures us that all this will happen. Go back to Psalm 46, back to verse 2. 
Notice how it begins. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of sin. Even though judgment is coming on the world, if we're in Christ, we have nothing to fear. If we belong to God, there's nothing to fear no matter what is to come. And this should stir our hearts, friend. God is with us. He's with us to give us grace and to bless us. And he's with us to forgive us of our sins. And even though he will judge the world and make all the wrongs right one day, we have nothing to fear in that if we belong to him. There's one more truth I want you to see in Psalm 46 here that should stir our hearts, and that is that God is all-powerful. God is all-powerful. All these other assurances would be pointless if God couldn't actually do them. There's no hope or might or try here. You don't have God saying to us, I'm going to try my best to be with you if I can. There's nothing here of God saying, I really hope I can bless you. Let's see if I can make it work out. There's no uncertainty here of justice will, tr- will come and I'll do my very best, people, to see if I can't make these wrongs right. There's certainty here. God is all-powerful. He speaks the world into being. He speaks judgment on the world. The world melts at the sound of his voice. And he's assuring us that he has the power to do everything. Look at verse 6 again. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. It's to remind us of how powerful he is. Hence, verse 7, the Lord of hosts is with us. What Ashley and Patsy sung for us, the Lord of hosts, it's an image of him being all powerful. He is Lord over all. He's sovereign over all. He commands armies in heaven of angels. He commands armies on the earth. He can do whatever he wants to. He is the Lord of hosts. He is over all. And he can do everything he said in Psalm 46, he will do. Therefore, we know God is with us. We know God will bless us. We know we have no fear when he judges the earth. And we know he has the power to do all of that. And friends, we know all that. The problem is it's too easy to stop there because that's about us. That's what God has done for us in the hope we have. Again, that's why we only memorize the first half of Psalm 46.10 so often. We like focusing on what we receive, but Psalm 46.10 won't let us stop there. It pushes us further. Why is God stirring our affections? Why is God reminding us of these amazing truths of his presence and his blessings? What is God doing in showing us all of these things? Friends, he shows us this not because these feelings we have are an end in themselves. He doesn't show us his greatness and what he's going to do for us so we feel warm and fuzzy. He doesn't do it so that we think we're amazing and we're some great people. And he's stirring us to realize that our lives are about something much bigger than ourselves. And don't miss that. God is showing us all these amazing things in Psalm 46 of his presence with us and his blessings coming to us and his protection for us and no fear and judgment. All these things because our lives are about something much, much bigger than us. Just think of it this way, and you've heard it said before. If you go to the Grand Canyon for the first time, no one goes to the edge of the Grand Canyon and sees the splendor of the creation and goes, wow, I'm awesome. Like you don't see the Grand Canyon and turn it to how amazing you are. When you see the vastness of the Grand Canyon, you can't help but be in awe and wonder of the beauty of God's world. That's the same here. When we see that God is with me, and we see that God blesses me, and we see that God is all-powerful to work on our behalf, and we see all this is not for us to stand there and be like, wow, I'm awesome. Look at what God is doing for me. It's to be like the Grand Canyon where we stand there in awe of what we are seeing. God is stirring our hearts with these truths, not because we're amazing, because he wants us to see that our lives are so much bigger than just about us. Go back to verse 10. One of the key verses of this whole psalm. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. In verse 10 here, the eyes in the Hebrew are emphatic. That means they're the emphasize. They're almost shouting. You should almost read this verse. So be still, know that I am God. 
I will be exalted among nations. I will be exalted in the earth. God is literally shouting to us to get our attention that it's about me. It's about God. It's about his glory and about his greatness. And he's showing us his power. He's showing us his presence with us. He's showing us his blessings, not so that we think we're great, but so that we see that he is great. He's showing us who he really is, a God who judges sin, a God who is glorious, and a God who's redeemed us, his people, and revealed himself to us because he's bringing us to a place not to think we're great, but to think he's great so that we worship him. Notice what he says in verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted. To exalt means to lift up, to praise. God's saying, I'm showing you all this because I am going to be exalted. I'm going to be praised. I'm going to be lifted up. I'm going to be seen for who I really am. It's going to lead you to worship me and praise him. And that's why we worship God, because we see him for who he is, and we worship him, we praise him, we exalt him for who he is. But again, friends, we must not stop there. The psalmist pushes us further than going, great. You know that God does all these things because he's showing himself, and great, you worship him. That's good. That's a step further. It's not about you. It's about him. But it pushes us even further in here because God stirs our hearts to long for him to be worshipped, not just by us, but by the whole world as well. He stirs in us a longing for him to be worshipped over the whole world. Friends, in the Old Testament where we are right now, we see all the teaching about Israel being God's chosen nation and about God's chosen people. Friends, they weren't chosen because they were amazing. He picked a weak nation, a small nation. And why did he pick a weak nation? Because he wanted to show his strength. But he didn't do it just for them. He did it because he wanted to work through them for the whole world. See on the screen, go back to Genesis chapter 12. This is the call of Abram. And you see in the call of Abram, God speaking to him and saying, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. Okay, this is the promise of what's going to come for Israel. And I will bless you. And I will make your name great. Period. Does it stop there? No, it goes on. So that, why is God going to bless Israel? So that you will be a blessing. Friends, and doesn't so often in our life say we put that period there. We want God to make us great and bless us. And then we stop. But God gives his blessing so that we're conduits through which the blessing goes to others. So that you'll be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, some parts of the earth will be blessed. How much of the earth? All the families of the earth will be blessed. Even in the choosing of small Israel, God was working so that the entire world would be blessed. And how are they blessed? They're blessed by believing in God, by coming to know his presence and his power. And all these things we're looking at today, coming to see God for who he really is. Not a God they imagine, but God for who he really is. God will reveal himself to the world through his people. That's when you come back to Psalm 46, verse 10. You see this confidence that's here. This has been God's plan from the beginning, before time even began. Now look at back at verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. There's no uncertainty. There's no hope. Oh, I hope that Israel will get their act together and make me known to the world. There's no, oh, I hope the church will take the gospel to the ends of the earth. God is confident because it's his plan from beginning to end, God's plan, and it will happen because he has all power, is that he will be known one day from every ethnic group on the earth. If you want to see that confidence, we go to the New Testament, Matthew chapter 24. This is Jesus speaking here, and Jesus is talking about the last days that his disciples have been asking about. And it's this amazing promise here, friends. There's a certainty of this. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout part of the world. How much of the world? The whole world is a testimony to some of the nations, all of the nations. 
and then the end will come. Christ has said before he returns again, the gospel will make it to all the nations of the world. Now, friends, when you see the word nations in the Bible, don't think political nations. The word nations in the Bible communicates something different. We hear nation, we think of countries. In the Bible, nations means people groups, ethnic groups, distinct groups of people with similar language and culture, groups who see themselves identified in a common bond there. And God says that this gospel will go to all the people groups, all the ethnic groups of the world before the end comes. Now, if you look at how people study missions today, there's 17,095 nations in the world. Not political nations, but people groups, groups of people with a common language, common culture, common way of life. Jesus has said before he comes back, the gospel will make it to all the nations of the world. Now, here's our sobering reality check. Look at the red up there. Those are unreached people groups, people groups where there are almost no Christians, no churches, and for me, there's no Bible and no gospel witness. And of the 17,000 people groups, ethnic groups, nations in the world today, 7,051 are unreached. 41% of the ethnic groups of the world today have no gospel witness, have almost no believers, have very little work being done among, in, among them. Christ has said that this gospel will make it to all the ethnic groups of the world before he returns. Friends, I hear well many people be like, Jesus may come back today. And I want to shout, no, he's not. He's told us that the gospel will make it to the whole world. And there's 7,000 groups of people in the world today who have no idea who Jesus Christ is. And he's promised us on the authority of his word that he will get the gospel to all those peoples before the end comes because there'll be worshipers of him from every people group. Friends, that's why Sunday after Sunday we pray for an unreached people group. This morning Seth prayed for the Dadai people of East India. 11,000 people in 62 tribal villages speak a language called Gata. 99.17% of them are animist Hindus. If you do the math of that, that means there's 92 non-Hindus in that whole people group. And those 92 non-Hindus are split up over a swath of other religions, from Islam to you name it. So there may be a few Christians we really don't even know. But there's no Bible, and there's no churches among this 11,000 people in these remote parts of India. They're one of those 7,000 unreached people groups. And God's heart is for his people to realize he wants to be exalted, that God desires and deserves to be worshipped by the Dadai people of East India, and God desires to be worshipped by the people here in Montgomery and all over the world. God deserves and desires the worship of every group on the planet. And friends, that day will happen. This is not a hopeless story. Go to Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Because God is amazing. He tells us what's going to happen. There's no guesswork of what may happen. Again, the certainty of this. Revelation chapter 7 verse 9. Do we have that up on the screen? There we go. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from how many nations? Every nation. Now, here's where the word nation is defined for us in the Bible. What does it mean by nation in the Bible? From all tribes and peoples and languages. So nation in the scripture is tribes, peoples, languages, ethnic groups here. They're standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes. They're now pure because Christ has redeemed them. With palm branches in their hands, they're worshiping him. And they're crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne, and they worshipped God. Friends, there's still 7,000 groups without worshippers of God in them. That's not going to be that way forever. God is bringing about the day that there's people from every tongue, tribe, and nation around his throne worshiping him. Genesis to Revelation with everything in between, including the Psalms, is showing us that God wants his people to long for him to be worshipped. 
in all of the earth. And why is he stirring our hearts to, to realize that? Because not only is he calling us as his people to worship him, he's calling us as his people to lead others to a place of worshiping him. He's made us to be the instruments by which he uses to make himself known in all of the world. Go back to Psalm 46.10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Now, when you see this verse again, friends, I want you to get rid of your mind, the picture of the mountain stream with a little be still and know on it. We've got to undo that thinking of what this verse is all about. When you see be still, it's not a calm, quiet word. This is a rebuke, okay? Be still is not, you're amazing, go rest in me. Be still is a rebuke here. Think about where be still is also used in Scripture. Mark chapter 4, verse 39. Do you remember when Jesus was on the boat and it was in a storm on the sea? And the disciples think they're about to perish. They are in panic because they think they're about to drown and die with Jesus asleep on the boat. And they wake him up, master, master, we're perishing. And Jesus stands up and he says, be still and know that I'm God. No, he stands up and he rebukes the wind and he rebukes the sea. And how does he rebuke? Peace. Be still. God shouts, be still to the storm. And it stops. Be still can be a rebuke here. And that's exactly what's happening back in Psalm 46. He's rebuking us. In verse 8, in Psalm 46, verse 8, he tells us, Come, behold the works of the Lord. He's inviting us to come see what we're prone to ignore. He's calling us to say, Quit ignoring and living your life for yourself. Come see what I am doing. Then he tells us in verse 10, Be still. Stop missing it. Stop living in fear. Stop living for yourselves. Be still. Stop what you're doing. Because the Hebrew word for be still has two parts to it. It partly means to stop what you're doing and replace it with something else. To stop what you're doing and replace it with something else. It's much like what we saw in Ephesians. And all the commands of how we're to live, we're to put off the symbol, we're to put on righteousness. There's two parts, put off, put on. Be still is that. We're to stop one thing to start doing something else. We're to stop ignoring what God is doing. We're to stop living for ourselves. We're to stop living in fear. What are we to replace it with? Be still. And now here's the replacement. Know that I am God. And the Bible, know, is more than intellect. Yes, it's intellect. We need to know these truths. But know in the Bible is a deep personal knowing. It's a commitment. It's a trust. It's a bonding to someone. So when God says, know that this is happening, saying, I'm calling you to commit yourself to this very thing, I'm telling you. He's calling us to commit ourselves to his glory being known in the earth. He says, stop living for yourself. Stop living in fear. Stop ignoring what I'm doing. And know, commit yourself to I am God. And commit yourself to me being exalted among the nations. He's stirring our hearts with this truth because he wants to use every follower of his to make this happen. He wants to use every single one of us who names the name of Christ to have some part in Revelation 7 happening where it's people who worship him from every tongue, tribe, nation, and language. Hence Matthew 28. Jesus' final words to his disciples. His final words to his disciples were they to go find a quiet stream and be still and sit there in his presence. What are his final words in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18? He comes to him and says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to you, saying, I have the right to tell you to do this. Go therefore... And make disciples of how many of the nations? All the nations, all the people in the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always in the age. Notice his presence leads to him sending us out on mission for him. 
which is exactly what Psalm 46 is all about. We have God being our refuge, our strength, our present help in trouble. We have God here, the Lord of hosts, being with us, the God of Jacob being our fortress. And he's doing all of this, too, so that we know to be still and know that he is God, that he will be exalted among the nations. Jesus reminded his disciples of his presence to send them out on mission, and he does the same for us today. So we come to Psalm 46. God is reminding us that he's with us, that he's going to bless us in Christ, that he will judge all sins, but we don't have to fear if we're in Christ, that we're forgiven of our sins. He reminds us of his power, and he's doing all that not for us to sit at home and think, I am great, or my life is for me. He's doing all that to stir our hearts and to stir our affections so that we long for him to be worshipped, not just by us, but by people all over the whole world. So that begs a question for us, friends. What are we doing with God's blessings in our lives? God has richly, richly blessed us. In the place we live and the freedoms we have and the financial resources we have as you travel the world, you realize that even if you're lower income in America, you've got more than most people in the world have. God has blessed us with freedom and he's blessed us with income. He's blessed us with the ability to get on a plane and be anywhere in the world in about 24 hours. God has given us so much. And what is he blessing us for? Is it because we think we're amazing and we're such awesome people of God and he's doing it for us? Or is he stirring our hearts with these blessings to realize that he wants to be worshipped in all the world and he wants to use us so that he is worshipped in all of the world? What are we doing with the blessings of God and the presence of God in our lives? With that said, friends, I want to ask you to do two things this week. Here's your homework, okay? Don't be scared. Just two homework assignments for this week. Would you take time this week to meditate on Psalm 4610 and memorize the second half of the verse that most of us were never taught in our life. Most of us know, like, there was no hesitation when I asked, complete the verse, be still, and we all need to know that I am God. But can we now take the next part and commit it with the same fervency of knowledge in our head to be still and know that he is God, that he will be exalted among nations, he will be exalted in all the earth. So would you meditate on it, begin to memorize Psalm 4610, and it's full so we see that what the meaning of the verse really is. And the second of all, would you just simply pray this week? I'm not asking you to give to a missions offering, and asking you to go on a mission trip. I'm asking you to simply pray and say, God, would you stir my heart to long for you being worshipped in all the world? Because it's so easy to get caught up in our lives and our problems, and I'm guilty of this as well, and to miss the nations and to miss the needs of the world, to hear of Jesus and to miss the fact that there's 7,000 ethnic groups in the world who don't know the name of Jesus, like it, don't have access to it. And we have his word on our phones, on our tablets, on our, in our Bibles, on our shelves for all that. We have church on every corner, bookstores with Bibles. We have access to all this. There's all over the world are places where there's nothing. Can we simply just ask God to stir our hearts and break our hearts afresh that we would long for him to be worshipped in all of the world. And friends, if we will commit ourselves to meditating on his word and praying that, I'm excited to see what God's going to do in us as a church body. And my heart and your hearts, as we go back to the Lord saying, Lord, burden our hearts, stir our affections. We think about your presence and your blessing. Stir our hearts to realize that your bigger desire is to be glorified in all the world. And let's see what God does in our midst as we begin as a church body to pray those things. Would you pray with me? Father, we so thank you for your word, Lord. How humbling it is to realize that in all the thousands of peoples in the world who've never even seen your word, that most of us have a house full of Bibles, Bibles on our phones and Bibles on our tablets and Everywhere we turn, we have your word. Lord, what a treasure that you've given to us. May we not take that lightly. Lord, thank you as well that we were born in a place to where the gospel is readily available. And for many of us in this room, we've heard the gospel since birth, and we just take for granted having access to it. But Lord, to realize there's thousands of ethnic groups in the world where no one's ever even heard your name and don't know the name of Jesus. 
Or would you this week, as we think about all the blessings we have in Christ, as we think about your presence with us, Lord, would you not only make us thankful for all that, but God, would you begin to burden our hearts afresh for all those places in the world where your name is not yet known? Not just because those people are in need, but Lord, because you deserve their worship. You deserve our worship. You deserve the worship of every, everybody on this planet. So Lord, would you this week in your kindness to us begin to show us more of who you are Would you open up your word to us so that it becomes alive to us? Would your Holy Spirit let your word breathe life into our hearts and to our souls? Lord, as we think about you and we sing of loving you and we respond in thankfulness for you, would you stir our hearts to want you to be worshipped all over this world, to break our hearts for all the people in the world who are not worshipping you, and to break our hearts over you being denied the worship that is rightfully yours. So, Lord, we just surrender ourselves to you and say, Lord, have your way in our lives. And we'll trust you for whatever you do, Lord. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song?